Hi folks, this is Jack Smirko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is July the 25th, 2018, and this is episode 2257 of the Survival Podcast. It's Wednesday, and it's interview day. And I guess this week is kind of becoming a... Uh, Kind of a get shit done kind of week, and we're continuing with that today. You know, we had the rewind on Monday because I was I was out getting shit done in the form of catching a whole bunch of stripers and white bass with uh, my good friend Thad Breckendorf and uh, my good buddy Patrick Rorman and our guide buddy there, Omar Cotter of Lucko the Irish Fishing Guide Service. Awesome dude. So you got that that uh, that show on business building. And in that show, I uh, I had about a good 15 minutes of solid new content. Uh, to put it in perspective, since it was a show that was, I think, four and a half or five years old. And uh, then yesterday, we did, of course, That Which Can Be Changed. And we looked at not only ignoring the things in our life that are outside of, of our circle of influence and, and, and exist only in our circle of concern, but identifying the things within our circle of influence and within our circle of concern that we actually within our circle of, I'm sorry, circle of influence and our, our circle of control that we actually can do something about. And then actually taking action on them and then how that improves eight different aspects of our health. For instance, our financial health, our productive health, our mental health, things like that. And uh, so that was a pretty, pretty much, you know, get down to it and do something show. Well, today I'm, I'm bringing on somebody who kind of embodies that. You guys know her. You hear her all the time. She's an expert council member, and she's been on the show before as well as a guest. Her name, Nicole Sauce, or as I call him, Nicole Awesome Sauce. We have her on today uh, with a show titled From Side Hustle to Full-Time Gig. Nicole's like me. She's a serial entrepreneur. She's, she's been able to do a lot of things well and a few things great. And it's always for her seemed to have started with, hey, this seems like an opportunity. Let me see what I can do with it. Let me get that off the ground. Let me make something happen with this. And then more often than not, that something that happens is a good something. And I know there's a lot of you out there that are taking this approach. You, you watched me or you've gone back and looked at the way that I transitioned from the conventional business world to a lifestyle-based business, uh, starting out doing this show in my car. You've seen people like Nicole. And many of you have watched uh, other entrepreneurs within kind of this uh, the larger community around the Survival Podcast. People like Brian Black with ITS Tactical, who took almost an identical path to what I did. Different business, uh, more product-centric, more of a blog than a, a podcast. Uh, but the, 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 the track of the two of us is almost identical. Uh, Brian started ITS Tactical about one year after I did, and his wife walked away from her job and went to work at his business one year after my wife did the same with mine. It, it, it's, 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 it's an interesting thing. And, you know, Brian started out as, as basically a photographer and web developer, and he transitioned from that over into a full-time business of his own. Nicole has been able to do um, many, you know, pretty much the same thing in, in several different instances, uh, taking that side hustle to a full-time business. And yet there's a lot of people out there that I see that have a side hustle, 
They're putting some hustle into it. A lot of times they're working really, really hard. But they're just not really working hard on the things that are the most important in the business. And many times because they're the ones that are the ones they most dread actually doing. You know, if you go into a business making something and you put all of your effort into making it, you make lots of it, you spend lots of money making it, whatever it is. I don't care if it's holsters or uh, designing, you know, um, some sort of software. If you don't put more effort into marketing it than you do into building it in the beginning, you're never going to get anywhere. You have to market the hell out of your stuff. And you can't just do it by buying a couple ads. There's, you know, you have to figure out what works for your business, but you have to put the effort into building the brand, building the market, getting the customers. If it means going out old school and beating on doors, then whatever it is, you've got to do that. And if all you're doing is creating work for yourself, you're not going to get anywhere. And it really takes something extra to move in that direction and actually get from side hustle to full-time gig. Well, Nicole, she's here with us today to talk about that, and I'll have her on in just a moment. Before we get Nicole on, let's take a look at our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is ButcherBox.com. You know, wouldn't it be cool like if, uh, if every month you had a professional shopper that went to the market for you and picked out the best beef, pork, and chicken? And I'm talking grass-fed, organic, you know, pastured pork, grass-fed beef, organic chicken. They picked out the best cuts, and they brought them home to you. And you were able to cook those and enjoy them. Maybe they, you know, they brought them right to you all in a nice package and put them on your table and said, here you go, sir. Here you go, ma'am. This is the best we could get today. Well, that's what Butcher Box is like. Except you just pick what you want on a website, and once a month or once every other month, depending on your frequency, a box shows up on your front door, packaged beautifully, by the way, uh, with dry ice where if you don't get to it till the next morning, it's going to be fine. Seriously, I, I've done it because we've been busy. Um, they do a great job. They provide an, a, a, a market for a lot of producers who otherwise wouldn't have a place for the premium product that they're producing. I love them. I, I you know, I eat something from Butcher Box at least every week. Usually about two nights a week, uh, our meat is coming from Butcher Box. So you can check them out at butcherbox.com. Remember, they do have a discount for members of the MSB. And that discount will get you $10 off every order for life which is plenty enough to have free bacon for life as long as you remain a ButcherBox customer. Next up today, Harvest Eating with Chef Keith Snow. Hey, if you're going to be having all this premium meat come to your house, you might really want to figure out, like, well, how do I cook it? How do I make it into something special, something awesome? Well, get on over to Chef Keith Snow. You can check out his podcast, his YouTube channel, his cooking courses, like his paleo beef course would be ideal for the Butcher Box customer. Uh, he's just a great guy, and his seasoning mixes are awesome, too. You can learn more about him where? HarvestEating.com. Again, check him out today at HarvestEating.com. Before I bring Nicole on, I wanted to uh, mention something. David Verne, who's been doing a great job for us for over 100 episodes now, 146 episodes to be exact, um, with the history segment at tspwiki.com is on hiatus, and he will not be back until August 12th. And uh, 
so we don't have history segments. That's where they kind of disappeared for the past couple weeks. I decided to do something till he gets back, and, and maybe at some point this will become a weekly segment or something like that. Um, the day in history. I've always liked concepts like the, this day in history. What happened on July 25th, 2018 in the past? Well, let's go back to 1945. On this day... July 25th, 1945, President Harry S. Truman nonchalantly hints to Soviet Premier Joseph Stalin the United States has developed a new weapon. In his diary, Truman privately referred to the new weapon, the atomic bomb, as the most terrible bomb in the history of the world. The United States had successfully tested the world's first atomic weapon near Alamogordo, New Mexico, on July 16, 1945. Truman received the news while in Potsdam, Germany, conferring with British Prime Minister Winston Churchill and Soviet leader Joseph Stalin on post-World War II policy in Europe. On July 17, Truman told Churchill of the test's success, and the two agreed to put off telling Stalin about what Truman called the dynamite news until later Truman first wanted to get Stalin to agree to enter the Pacific War on the Allies' side with no strings on it. So there's there's something there that a lot of people don't know about World War II. The the United States, in fact, the Allies as a whole, other than than Russia and Soviet Union, had been pushing Stalin to open a front on the Pacific War, so that we would get help with ending that war. And the reason Truman didn't want to tell old Joe about the bomb yet was because once, let's say, Stalin knew that the victory would be certain, they might be willing to open it up with strings attached. Like, okay, well, yeah, we'll open up a front, but we want our peace there like we got our peace in Europe with the Iron Curtain. Well, funny thing is, if I remember my history correct, and I think that I do, it was one or two days before the end of the war that the, the, the Soviet Union officially opened a front, which really was kind of meaningless at that point, and yet they still were able to have massive influence in places like North Vietnam and North Korea, which, of course, we all know what those two things led to, two terrible wars with two terrible outcomes. So that's what happened this day in history, 1945, July 25th. Truman let old Joe Stalin know hey, we've got the big one, even though Stalin wasn't quite sure what it was yet. With that, before I bring Nicole on, let me remind you real quick, you can help support the show how. Join the Member Support Brigade. Do that. You get exclusive content available only to members, and you get discounts to over 80 companies. It's an awesome deal. You use your discounts, you get your money back, and you support the show at about 18.3 cents an episode. All you got to do to become an MSB member is go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more. And with that, let's get right to it and welcome Nicole Awesome Sauce to the Survival Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me back on, Jack. Always love having you on. Uh, most people do know who you are because you're a member of our expert council. I always say you're the awesome sauce on the council. Um, but some people maybe you're tuning in for the first time today or they haven't, you know, picked up, you know, they're pretty new and they haven't heard an expert council show with you on it or they did and they're like, who is this chick? So who is Nicole Sauce? Who is Nicole Sauce? She's a quirky chick who sings <laughs> rock and roll. For those of you who don't know, I, I love to sing rock and roll, and I did train as a classical musician, have a degree in music that I've used exactly zero times, um, and I hoard food for a living. 
<laughs> in my prepper pantry, also known as I store food in a measured manner, which is something you teach a lot on your show, Jack. And I live in a bunker in the country. You've seen the bunker, right? It is a bunker. It's pretty it's awesome. It's a bunker. Yeah, it's all a cement block built into the side of the hill. No, okay. So I started out as a public school teacher, hated it, and went into executive training and then worked in the public policy arena, libertarian public policy, doing issue campaigns because I realized that the guy you get elected isn't going to make a change. But I was hoping you could impact local politics with issues by changing how just how things are processed. But I, I apparently failed at that because I was just mailed a one cent, like one penny taped to a piece of paper yesterday from my county because I overpaid my hotel tax. Hmm. Think about that. How much did they spend to process my $5.15 check and then mail me a penny? So there's still work to be done there, but I've moved on out of there <laughs> and into the side hustle world and run a coffee business. I build websites for people and help them set their marketing position. I do workshops and I have a podcast called Living Free in Tennessee where I just talk about country living lifestyle design. And you've been the uh, the side person, the side hustle person on the expert council, business questions and all, but really leading to that. Hey, I I want to get out of my job. I want to go do something else, and I can't just make a, an instant break. So I got to do a transitional business. Let's start with a side hustle and and move somewhere else. Or even for some yeah. people, they just want a side hustle, and that's all they want it to be, right? Like so. Can you kind of catch up on how things are going for you over this year that you've been this? Uh, this voice on our council on, on your own stuff. Wow. Well, things really have changed for me in the last year when I think I met you early in 2017. And at that point I had made a really hard decision because I was the founder and president of a nonprofit where I spent a lot of time paying other people to work for me. But the problem with a nonprofit is no profit, right? <laughs> yeah. So I was not, I mean, it looked like I was making money on paper, but I was not, making very much money. And I had 10 other balls in the air. I was like spinning all these plates. I was selling eggs. I was doing all this stuff. And I just like started developing a heart condition. Like literally my heart would palpitate and beat funny. Did you know your job can kill you, Jack? I absolutely do know that. Mine yeah. almost killed me a bunch of times, a bunch of different ways. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. Uh, and and my the problem with mine was the stress of paying all these people and then the frustration I think this is the stress I brought on myself of not really making a very good living at it and then needing to keep all these other things going and so the heart doctor said quit coffee and you can imagine what that's like to somebody who just loves coffee. Mm. So I did, didn't change. I quit drinking wine, that helped. And then I quit my job. And all of the symptoms went away. And I we changed our mission there to be volunteer only, got rid of all the employees. And that brought me to your workshop because I was pouring all of my energy into my interests. I had eggs. I had coffee. I was doing classes, running a newspaper, have a podcast, did web development, facilitating workshops, long-term rentals, short-term rentals. I even delivered a camper to people. And... I loved doing all those things, but I was like, you know what? I'm still, I'm working really hard, not making enough money. I'm going to go to this workshop thing that Jack Spierko talks about and see 
if I can get to know people who have been where I am, gotten over it, talk to them, and just find out more about, you know, where to go. And so then I stood up very publicly at your at your <laughs> workshop, declared I wasn't going to grow the coffee business, and two months later I launched a Kickstarter. <laughs> I remember that well. I remember yeah. your Kickstarter video going, and that was it right there. Right when I that said was I moment. wasn't going to do it, I realized I was going to do it. <laughs> yeah. So and and part of that was like I had ten balls going and didn't want to put all of my time into one because I like doing new things. But then I realized, like, what do I teach people? I consult to. I teach them to focus. We have a we have a group going on Facebook, by the way, that where people list the three things they're going to do, not because they need to do three things every day. But they need to max, you know, max number of three most important things per day, right? Mm -hmm. So that they don't try to do 12 things and do none of them at all, all the way. So it's been loads of fun. So the coffee business has been growing really well. And I have, I got to join your expert council, which is lots of fun, especially when I get questions from your buddy, David. And, uh, just we've turned some corners in, in this last year going from lots of side hustles, not quite making enough, but at least I'm not going to die of a heart attack to, okay, some of these have taken off and now we're making a profit. You know, and I think it's, it's important too for people to understand something when you talk about these multiple things that you're doing at one time, you have a background in, in entrepreneurship. You have a background in business and execution and getting things done. I think one of the problems a lot of people have is they try to do too many things instead of doing one well, at least one well first. Yeah. Yeah, you my approach of shotgunning 10 things was partially born out of panic of I just decided to walk away from a stable income, right? Which is not the best way to do it. That's not how I coach people to do it is to just walk away, but I was like I'd rather be destitute and alive than have a heart attack and have money. <laughs> so, you know, it was a kind of a different choice and I'm it was my damn fault for letting myself go that far on that one. So, yeah, I have a history. I'm very good at getting things up quickly and I was able to juggle it, but I'm not juggling 10 things anymore. I'm, I have 3 things. So, you know, in the last year I was like, okay, I see what's working and what isn't, and that's why I thought it would be fun today to talk about turning the side hustle into the full-time gig because so many of your listeners want to go there, right? They want to get away from the J-O-B. Absolutely, and, and that's what we have you on to talk about uh, after all today. So with that in mind, how does a person know that the time is right to say, okay, I'm going to anchor down and do this now, and I'm going you know, to play the Johnny Paycheck song of my boss and take this job and shove it and whatnot? Okay, it's really funny because a friend of mine just gave notice today. Okay. And he texted me and he said, that went better than I thought because <laughs> he's going somewhere else good. So Just I, before you go on, in case we don't come back to it, just so anybody knows, um, I made a joke about the Johnny Paycheck song. You can play it in your car on the way home. Don't burn that bridge. Don't Never burn bridges. And <laughs> don't do it. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, well, it was funny because, yeah, that could have happened too. But he, he gave he gave a really good – he wrote a really good notice-giving letter. So how do you know it's time I don't think you ever really know it's time, Jack. Did you know it was absolutely time when you went full-time into your podcast? I did, but for an odd reason. Um, okay. I was ready to do it, though I didn't know if it was right. 
and I spoke to one of my partners uh, in my my real business, right, and uh, said, I, I, I want to go do something on my own, and I want to leave. And he pretty much um, begged me to stay and stay through the end of the year, which was six more months that I really wanted to, um, to take on some things for him and wrap those up and then, you know, <laughs> be fruitful, multiply, and go on ye way. Uh, so I agreed to do that. So six months later... <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I knew it was right, but I was ready. Yeah, you were totally uh, ready. Because you had a job killing you thing? Yeah, yeah, that's a real thing. Yeah, it is. Well, so I think you never know 100%, but I think you also do know. And yeah. that is the nature of launching anything. And so even if all the numbers line up, there's always a possibility you might fail. And... On the other thing, on the other hand, there's there are things you can look at, right? You can say, what do the numbers say? And I'm sure your numbers said something very clear when you made your decision. Okay, I can live on this. Yeah, absolutely. I've got it. I've got it lined up. And what you don't know for sure is if it's going to stay there forever, right? Anything can change. In you know, you you know you can do the best to keep the numbers coming, and you're very good at that. Right? You're always thinking of new revenue streams, but you know. Uh, you could do what I did once and buy a house and then, you know, it was 2007 and the very next day, bam, <laughs> I had to hang on to that one for a while. Um, is it something you're willing to do every single day to improve and, and to improve on it every day? I think it's a question you need to ask yourself before you pull the trigger, like coffee. I love coffee. I love roasting coffee every day. When I can't roast coffee because I'm sick, because I'm not going to roast coffee when I have the flu and then mail it to somebody and mail them the flu, mm. I'm a little sad about that, right? Yeah. Is your house in order? Mine wasn't in order when I jumped. Like What I did is probably not the best advice other than the choice I had was the choice I had. Um, and I really think it. You know, this is a case of, you know, I, I didn't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, but by having your house in order, this goes back to a lot of lessons you teach people to build into their life in a you know, day-to-day way, right? Which is, do you have an idea of where you want to go in life beyond, I just don't want to work my job anymore? Like, do you know what, what your happiness looks like? Have you thought about that? How's your debt looking? Do you have a lot of debt? If you have a lot of debt, it's a lot harder to walk away from stable income that you need just to service the debt. I saw somebody over on your Facebook um, forum the other day. He was like, hey, I'm ready to launch my business and I'm about to get a divorce. Should I, I, I'm going to go give notice right now. And everybody's like, wait, you have a divorce looming? Your house <laughs> isn't in order. Like, yeah. dude, she's going to get half your business if it's successful. Like, yeah. wait a minute or two. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Do, do you have kids who expect to go to college? Do you have savings? Like, all of those things. It's not, it, like, is your family supportive? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I kind of look at it this way. It's a lot like deciding when to have children. The yeah. time is never totally right, but there are certain times that are really not right. Like there's right. Like, like if you wait to have kids until everything's perfect, I think they made a movie out of that called Idiocracy and we saw what that got us. Um, right. But there's like times when you like go, when you talk to a young couple and like, yeah, we're going to start trying to have kids right away and you go, yeah, no, maybe you should literally put a cork in that. Like, uh, you should get a few things in place, like where you're going to live first. Like, you're you're living with one of the two of you's parents. Probably not the time to do this yet. So, I think with a business, it's kind of that way too. Like, it will never be perfect, right? But you can get to a point where you go, 
okay, we may eat ramen once a week, but we're not going to eat it every day, right? And then uh, we're going to be able to do this. And then I think you have to look at things that are, you know, spooky business things like revenue projections. And you have oh. to actually have a reason that you believe they're going to increase over time, like these are the actions I took to get here, and by doing them more, this is what I can expect, rather than, well, things just keep getting better. That's 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 not a thing. It doesn't work that way. No, no. And and if you don't look critically at the numbers of your business, you don't really know if you're making a profit or not, I don't think. Just because there's so many hidden... Like even with Hollow Roast, I did my projections, and then when I went through the Kickstarter and all of that, I sat down and I went through all the numbers again, and it turns out there were hidden expenses I hadn't thought of. And that always happens to me. And some But, crazy redneck duck farmer looked at you and said, what, before he knew any of that? Yeah, raise, raise, your, prices. raise your price. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> raise your price. <laughs> and and I, didn't, I didn't actually know that you'd be in a hole. I just knew what you, based on what you said and why people were buying your product, I'm like, they'll totally pay $2 more a pound. Well, that, I looked at you and I was like, In my head, I'm thinking, I can't. And I looked at you, and I'm like, he's more successful than I am. I'm just going to do what he says and see what happens. And I instantly started selling more coffee. That's just insane, right? Like Because the worst thing that could happen is you sell less, you put your price back where it was. Right. right? But instead of just selling the same amount and then actually making a profit, you start making a profit and sell more because people looked at it and went, well, it must be better because it costs more. Yeah. That's exactly what happens. And then the other side was you could justify your costs. Once I understood what you were doing, I'm like, as long as that's part of your marketing story of how you're doing all this, yeah. then I know I, if I wouldn't pay you know, 14 bucks in a, a pound, then I'm not going to pay 16 But if I would pay $14, i will pay $16. Like, that was kind of what was in my head. Like The person that's going to buy this product anyway is not going to go away over 2 bucks when you look at the market where it is now and, and what everybody else is selling for. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's and that's, I, that's an instinct thing. Like, I yeah. really had no business telling you to do that because I don't know your market f at all. But I think there's a certain instinct when you've spent enough years doing stuff like this, you just look at something and go, yeah, you totally could put like another 10% on that. And then that actually might be your, 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 your net profit. Well, and that's why I think you need to be open with people about your business who are also business people, right? Because even when I'm in it, I mean, like, especially when I'm in it, I don't always see that open window or that open door. But if I talk openly about my numbers and what's happening in the market, somebody else will be like, well, why don't you raise your prices $2 a pound? Absolutely. You know, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's great. And I think the other thing that tells you when you're, it's time to go, there's this little inner voice that we all have that if you learn to trust it is right much of the time. It's not ready right all the time, but it'll start talking to you. And that gives you, you know, that's, that's time to go look at your spreadsheet. I mean, for me, that's always a starting point. And I'll tell you what happens when you don't do that. Here's a, here's an interesting story. This is before TSP, right? Um, I had built a lot of different email lists and, and, and things like that to market different products because I like this whole idea of, hey, I can come home and work for three hours on the Internet and make money. Like, it seemed like a good thing. So I started building all these email lists. And I had built one with over 100,000 Um, hunting enthusiasts, you know, either archery, rifle, whatever, on it, and in another like like a, like like the old list, you know, the you know, the old list server type uh, things. Uh, this girl was making soap, and she was talking about how it's all natural and all, and she can't find customers. And I'm like, well, um, could you make one that is 
nothing in it but pine. And then what would be your cost per bar? And she flipped out on me about how dare I ask her cost. And she has her process. And I'm, oh, man. And I'm going, well, what I wanted to do was see if there was enough profit in it to market this product as an all-natural scent cover to 100,000 hunters. But whatever. And like that's what <laughs> like like I'm gonna go in the soap business, right? And I, if you're in the soap business, I know wonderful people in it. I don't mean to put that. I'm not putting that down. I'm just saying, like, if you know me, like, yeah, I'm not gonna be out pouring blocks of soap. It's it's not gonna happen. No. And well, and it's funny because when I've talked to the roasters in our area, because there are other craft roasters, they're the same way. We yeah. share everything. This is what I'm spending. These are my sources. This is what I've learned about labels because it's just, it's, I'm not going to do what Bros does around the corner, right? Yeah. He, he's serving a totally different market than I am. Absolutely. But if, if we both increase in visibility, we help each other sell more in both of our markets. Absolutely. So, And I mean, like, yeah. you started out really locally centered, but you sell a lot online now, don't you as well? No, oh, my primary is online now. Yeah. I, I am in one location here locally, and it's because I believe in what they're doing. Gotcha. So they're like a farm-to-table source, and, and it's local. So I said, okay, we'll put the car coffee in there. Gotcha. And that's that's awesome because, like, how could you possibly be worried about competition from another micro-roaster in a multi-billion-dollar industry? Like, if you're worried about that person – then you're not going to be successful anyway because that yeah. that pie is so big you're not even taking a slice of it you, you, like you guys are t at this time taking a crumb of a slice you know right. it's cut in half i mean it's it's it, it's it's that big of a market go into any you know supermarket and they have an entire aisle at least one side of it that's nothing but coffee for a hundred feet long by about eight foot tall that's how big that market is so In some markets, I can see like some concern about that, but like I'm the same way with podcasting. I'm gonna start a podcast. I hope you don't mind. I'm gonna do. It. I'm like, well, I don't <laughs> care. I don't care. There's, there's like five billion people in the world, and you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of them speak English. Go, go nuts with it. It's not gonna hurt yeah. me. No, it'll help you because the more people that listen pod to podcasts, the more likely they are to find yours. Now, if you're in a competitive local market, I recommend not giving away like your 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 you know your cost analysis and your your P and L report to your competitor. Like you can go too far with that. But in most right. instances, it's just really not the issue people think it is. The other one I love, and I'm sure you've gotten this because you're known for business. I got this really great idea. <laughs> it's really great. I want to talk to you about it. But I need you to like um, like sign an NDA or something yeah. first. And it's like just go away. Just yeah. go, like, go away. I don't even want to talk to you. And I know people get offended, but I'm like, what did you expect? Like, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get really concerned about this or something. Like, like, like I'm gonna like take your idea. The one guy, like, when it was all said and done with, he was gonna make a site to find the best apartment to live in. Yeah, it's okay, always well, a phone app like or something. Eighty of too. them already doing that, and yeah, that's like, if I was gonna do that, I would have done it before you were born, man. Go. <laughs> right, exactly. And I mean, I'm busy enough. I don't need your idea. I've got extra ideas for people if they want them. Yeah. Oh, I have ideas in surplus. There's no doubt about that. Right. So when we look at this, we're talking about today going full time. What do you mean when you say full time? Because that means different things to different people. And how did you choose the side hustles that you were going to grow? 
Okay, so this is a really important question because this goes back to lifestyle design. Is your full-time job 90 hours a week or is it a different number, right? For me, full-time is full-time income, not full-time hours. And in fact, one of my goals is to be able to make the money we need and have time for other interests because I have a lot of other interests. Like that aquaponics system, by the way, that you guys installed, it's a new interest that I spend time on. And if I'm, if I'm pushing coffee 90 hours a week, I'm, I don't have time for the aquaponics system, even though it's a lot easier than my raised beds were. Right. So I think it's important as you go down the road of working for yourself, because when you work for yourself, um, you, you'll find out that your boss is an asshole and wants you to work all the time. There is always something else you can do to be better, right? Sure. And so you want to craft what you're doing into something you like to do. I, I basically feel like I'm retired, even though I, I, I put hours in. I feel retired because the hours I put in, I love doing what I do. And it generates income. So for me, it's not 40 hours. It's full-time income. In order to decide which of those 10 things to do, I, well, I looked at the, the number one thing is what is making money? What's really making money for me out of all of these? And it turned out selling duck eggs was not. I, like, when I started analyzing it, just the act of driving the duck eggs to where they need to go cost me more in time. Mm-hmm. Then it made sense for the money I was getting. And I was getting some profit from that, but I wasn't, I wasn't even producing eggs on the scale you do. You saw I have like a dozen ducks. Sure. So I had, you know, I had like five, six extra dozen a week. Um, so what was really making, so I look at what's really making money and has an upside potential for me. That's real estate. Cause I run rental properties, coffee, and then my con- consulting and website development. Those three things were making money and had, had room to grow. Basically, um, I also look at where do I want to spend my time? If one of those things had been bookkeeping for other people, which I hate doing, it comes off the list because I don't like doing it. Right. So that's another thing to look at. That's how I chose my side hustles. And then very important. And you know this because you have a Dorothy in your life. What thing is Mark also either willing to help out with or supportive of? Because we're working together towards our life goal, right? And if I had come to him and said, okay, I'm going to lose a little weight, I'm going to get a boob job and some plastic surgery and become a stripper, he would not have been supportive <laughs> of that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or, I mean, I make really great goat cheese, Jack. I sure. make soft cheeses, hard cheeses. It tastes great, and I love doing it. My dad is retired from the commercial food world, so I have an in on getting licensing and all that set up in food production. Am I selling goat cheese? No. Why? Well, you're not selling goat cheese probably because you can't scale at a level to make enough money with it. You don't want to do it. Yeah. Well, also, Mark does not like taking care of goats. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> you can get that, right? Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. And and that's something people really ignore. They like if your family hates what you're doing and is not supportive, you're screwed. Yep. Yeah. You're, you're totally screwed. In fact, we were going to drop the newspaper. I was going to drop the newspaper because I wasn't seeing the profit. Mark made it profitable in the last two months. So, you know, and that's because that's what he loves doing. But you still got to get to a point where either you make it profitable or you don't. You know, yeah. you mentioned the ducks and the way that worked with us 
Dorothy wanted something to do. She wanted a business. I'm like, I know how to build businesses. She liked the ducks. She wants to take care of the ducks. It's no big deal. I build a system around ducks. Uh, yeah. Then we get these two things that show up called grandchildren, and they're here all the time, and she can't do it anymore, and I have to hire some labor, and that's okay, and the spreadsheet's tracking it, still making money. Well, then it got to the point where it's like, okay, you're not working the sales channel anymore, so now instead of selling every egg before it's laid, we're right. having inventory that we're donating, and now our profit's gone, or it's there, but it's not worth the time we're putting into it. We're, we're done. Because that's not my business. I don't want. I like the birds, but I don't want to do that business. That's not my thing. You know, probably this fall we'll pick up a half dozen or eight ducks to have running around as pets right. for personal use. But that business, the minute Excel told me, not we were losing money. That next quarter you're not going to make money, and we were unwilling to do anything to change that. It's not a business anymore. Look how much money I can sell ducks for. That's what that became. Let's have a yeah. buyer sale on ducks, and and put some cash away, um, and, and that and then we you know we had like a social responsibility thing. I felt because we had customers who really relied on us, so we did tell people when they were buying them like, well, how many do you want? When somebody said like thirty, we're like, do you want to do this as a business? Yeah, we gave them our customers. Awesome. Uh, but I wasn't going to stay in business for that customer. You know, because I would have had to be at a point where, like, okay, I'm gonna have to charge you like, you know, fourteen dollars a dozen, and right. unless everybody says yes, I got to charge you eighteen, right? So, like, and, yeah, and I really don't want to do it for the money we're making now. So, okay, yeah, and that it, people have to understand, like, that's the hard decision that has to be made, and if you're not tracking your numbers, you don't even know, right? Because the danger of a side hustle is you you can't afford to lose money. You can afford to lose money with a side. I promise you, if you're doing it full time, you'll know you're losing money. That's true. Because you won't have any, right? So, right. so as right. long as you have this source of income, you know, somebody that's making sixty, eighty, a hundred thousand a year, something like that, from a corporate job, can have ten thousand dollars a year being siphoned into a losing business and believe they're making money. And they'll say, "Well, yeah, I'm, I'm losing money on paper, but I make." No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. And you can sometimes you can look at it from arm's length and go. This is losing money. And the person is tricking themselves into it. My definition of full-time, a little different than yours, but really the same idea, is it's nothing to do with time. It's to do with if the income is sufficient that I no longer have a job. Right. Then it's a full-time because it, that's literally the definition of it. I'm not working for you know the, the, the copier department or something like that. I work for me. Therefore, that is what I do full-time. Now, if I can get it down to where I work 15 hours a week and make a good income, that's great. I, I want that. But until you're actually separated from a job, it's not a full-time business. That's true. Because to your point, you can just transfer money from one to the other. Yeah. Well, and you're also going to have some – like so in your business, you work as hard as you can when you can. In your job, you work as hard as you're told whenever you're told. Right. And that will never go away until you go away. You know, and again, you have to figure out the timing behind that because there's never a perfect time, but there obviously are some times for the wrong time. Yeah, there are wrong times and there are better times too, right? So if you're if your debt is paid off and you've got your savings and your family's supportive and you've got something that's looking good on paper, and I mean, I think almost everybody I know who's made the leap takes a hit, like a lower income at first at least as they jump. That 
that's actually your stars are starting to align. If your market's looking good, go for it. Well, I mean, you know, in my case, it wasn't really that there wasn't enough income to do well. It was, but that income was there, and I'm letting the other income go. Yeah. Right, and that's a hard choice. And you look at your spouse and say, "Yeah, honey, I know I have a six-figure salary and benefits, but I'm going to stop doing that now." No matter how much money you're making in your side hustle, that's that's not necessarily an easy conversation. It's it's a hard conversation, but it's an important one. And and that's why I always go back to what is, what does your family think? Because if if they look at you and say no, <laughs> and yeah. then you do it anyway, how's that going to go for you? I mean, I know somebody who was in a situation like I was, and he looked at his wife and said, I can't do this anymore. He's now divorced. Mm. And he is doing side hustles, and it was it was hard because the money was more important to her than his health, and he didn't like that answer. So you do a lot of things, right? How many side hustles is it reasonable to grow at one time, and, and how do you personally handle multiple endeavors? Over the years, I've, I've gotten closer and closer to my answer to that question being one. Um However, in some instances, multiple side hustles do make sense. You know, if you're an Uber driver as part of a side hustle, that might be seed money to do something else. Well, okay, so not surprisingly, my answer to this is it, it depends. <laughs> I think it totally depends on you, what you're good at, and where your side hustles are. I mean, sometimes I don't go so well, I don't juggle them so well. Sure. And, and I had to, I had to face that in the last year. I had, I had this jack factor thing happen with you. Okay. I was on your show and then I got like 14,000 contracts all at once. <laughs> and it led to the email that I had to send saying, okay, guys, jack factor happened. You're all jack listeners. I'm really sorry. This is how it's going to go. And some things got done more slowly than I would have liked. Right. Um, and that, that's part of what made me step back and say, okay, these are the side hustles I have going on. These are the plates I'm holding up. I need to hold up further, uh, fewer plates and make them bigger. Right. So that I'm, I'm not feeling as scattered. So I think you're right. One may be the answer for most people. But if you're a serial entrepreneur, how do you only do one thing? Right. Like you're doing Biltong for breakfast. You couldn't help yourself, could you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. so a and, partner that actually does the part they say they're going to do. Like yeah. that's a big caution I have for people. Like, I'm going to have this partner. Written. Yeah, okay. Yeah, good uh, luck with that. Yeah, because you – one of you will care enough to do what needs to be done, and one of you probably won't. I got a, I got an entity right now that I need to put to death because the yeah. other side's just not doing their part, you know. And, and I've gotten more and more stingy on doing things with other people because of that. People say, "What's the number one thing you can do to make your podcast uh, successful? Do it alone." Oh yeah, do a podcast. Do it alone. You don't need anybody else because no. that's gonna be like, "Well, I, I can't do it Monday." Well, what about Tuesday? Well, I gotta take kids on Tuesday. Do it alone because you can always have that person on as a guest. If they show up every day, maybe they become a full-time partner. You know, um, website stuff like I, I'm the thing now. We're like, well, we'll do the site together, and you do this, and then I'll promote. You know, okay, well, go build it, and then come back and we'll talk. Right. You know, so it's yeah, it, it's difficult. And then on multiple things, like I said, like the only way I see it, most people in any way make any sense to be doing multiple things while they have a job is the concept of I need seed money and all my job money goes to like my life. So I'll drive Uber after hours to build up some seed money so I can do this other thing 
And then once you get that other thing going, you probably need to back off the Uber thing, or maybe you transition to Uber as your full-time gig as you build up that side hustle. Like, that kind of thing I get. But yeah. most people, like, if you're a serial entrepreneur, that to me that means you should have a successful business, at least one. And then, yeah, yeah you could do some other things. If you're trying to learn to run a business and you've never done it successfully and you're doing three, I, I guarantee you that you will not make any of them successful. I guarantee that because you have a full-time job that eats up uh, 40 hours a week minimum. There's only 144 hours in a week. And I know that from one week where I worked like 96 hours and was like, well, how many hours did I not work? <laughs> um, you know, uh, so with that, that 40 gone, and then there's a certain amount of time every week that you need to sleep or you will die. You only have so much time available. And if you, if you bifurcate or trifurcate that remaining time into multiple efforts, you know, it probably won't work unless it's like, If, if, if you're doing something that really is all the same thing, let's say you went into the web development stuff and you're going to develop your own sites and you know, and you were doing 20 or 30 niches to see which one kind of takes traction, it's really all the same thing and you're building the same skill set. Right, right. When you're doing things that are totally different skill sets and require a totally different focus of attention, then I, I don't see any way that anybody gets from full-time job The full-time side hustle doing three or four. I get all the time. I got three ideas. Great. Pick one. Pick one and go do it. Do it till it either works or it doesn't and then do the next one. You know? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, I, I had a long talk with John Pugliano about this because I had three or four things that were potential. And I said, help me like talk through which one needs to be my primary. Because to me, the way I see it is hierarchical. I have multiple things going on, but there's one primary. Absolutely. And then I'm, I drew a circle and said, how are they all feeding the primary? And so mm. while I may be doing my three things, and three, for me, the, the, the number three is magical. I can remember it. <laughs> I, they've done a lot of scientific research on the human brain, and the, the maximum number of things we can really keep track of is four. And so... I, I, I do three things because the fourth thing is general maintenance. That's like, I remembered to cook myself dinner tonight and that's a win. <laughs> that's number four, right? So, yeah. but, so I have three things and they all feed each other, but I am primarily building one business right now. Yeah. It's just that people see me building three. Sure. I also have a partner in my life named Mark who's pushing on one of them really hard. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I would say in some ways that that business unit is more his than yours. He's the lead on that unit. He is. He's absolutely the lead on. I just help him out and make sure it looks pretty. Absolutely. And there's there's a lot of power when you have that. And you know, when it comes to your when you're doing stuff like that, like a lot of times people say they have multiple things and you're right, they kind of support the other or they don't require a lot of attention. Like I make a little bit of money every month off of YouTube. It's nice yeah. money. I don't mind it. You know, I don't set it back. <laughs> you know, it's it's three four hundred bucks, um, but it is a side effect of my business. The only reason I make YouTube content is because I have this business. Now, occasionally, I will come up with some quirky crap that I'll throw out there, and I, I piss all the permaculture people off because they thought I was a purple breather and they didn't know that they were going to find out something they didn't like about politics and, and have a right to be offended or whatever. Um, right. But, but in general, 
90% of what I put on YouTube is for TSP. Well, oh, there's this monetization thing over here. Well, I turn that on. But, you know, if you look at my YouTube subscriber number, it's like 30-something thousand. Yeah. It could be a lot higher. I don't treat that like a business unit. I treat it like a adjunctive marketing component to the podcast. And people are like, well, why don't you spend more time on it? Because every second I spend on that, I'm not spending on the thing that, that is the date that I brought to the dance. Right? You dance with the one that brung you. And if you're not going to, then you know what happens, right? When you make that decision, I'm not dancing with my date. Guess where your date goes? Bye-bye. Away. Bye. Away. Yeah. And if you take your primary business and you work another one and ignore it, just like that date goes away, that business will start to atrophy. Yeah. And then you might lose everything because if you haven't been fully going the other direction, yeah. it, you may not have built that enough. That's that's a risk. That's, I mean, focus is, it's hard to do for me. Mm-hmm. And it's the most important thing for me to do. It's what I like have written reminders on my wall about what what my three primary life objectives are so that every time I start, you know, I'm going to read this article about Russia or whatever. I'm like, wait a second. Is that helping me get there? No. Okay, done. Turn that off. Or I want to start a knitting business. No, I don't. No, I don't. No, I don't. See, I I think if you build a brand, you can learn something from really big brands and little small brands can do too. But you should yeah. do it actually the way they do it. So like some 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 sports athlete or something, or or some like even just a big time uh, uh, social media celebrity or something will say, we come out with a shoe line, a line of shoes. And like I'm an entrepreneur, I have a shoe business. No, they don't. They don't have a shoe business. They have a brand that a shoe company that already knows everything about the shoe business does. Yeah. You know, I, I I'm a cook. I like to cook, but I promise you, if I ever come out with like a line of seasonings. I'm not going to have a seasoning business. I'm going to have a brand. I'm going to say, this is what I want. This is the way that I want it done. And someone is going to be in the business of packaging and fulfilling that. And the only thing I'm going to say is, I'm lending my brand to this. And yes, I personally decided, this is how I want this to be. But if I have to, I'm not sitting in my kitchen grinding up freaking spices and putting them in bottles. No, 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 no. I am not doing that. Now, if that was going to be my primary business... I may very well bootstrap it that way. So it's not that that business model itself is not smart, but I don't think it is anyway. But you can make a case <laughs> for it, right? Like, why would you do that? You know, why? I always people are like, well, I'm going to get a farm, and when I grow enough of this food, I'm going to start this local food club. Okay. Do you got a car? Yeah. Can you get an igloo cooler? Yeah. Do you know where people live? Yeah. Is anybody growing that stuff already? Yeah. Go do that now. Yeah. You could be in business doing that tomorrow. Contact everybody that's available locally. Make a list of what they can supply and how much. Make an order sheet. Go start knocking on doors and tell everybody about your great idea. It'll either succeed and give you enough money to grow your own farm and then provide some stuff into an actual sales channel that's already there, or it won't work and you won't waste like $200,000 in five years of your life to produce a product that you have 50 bucks worth of a product and nobody wants to buy it. You'll know. Why would you waste your time? Do you want to go into a seasoning business? Go get somebody that already does that. I checked. It's called private label seasoning mixes. And you could be doing it tomorrow. Yeah. It's just like you and the mead. You you, you have your mead recipes and yeah. somebody suggested you start a meadery. You're like, no. No. But I'll totally work with somebody who does that. Yeah. You get me the right person who's already doing it. 
that already yeah. is in you know retail outlets or already is selling online and and I can say I want it done exactly this way. We'll talk, but hey, I could probably make an ebook that's all of my recipes and sell it for five dollars and make four dollars and ninety nine cents on everyone. Like how how much am I going to make on a bottle of mead that somebody else is making? So I would have to make those, but I could make that book, and then if that book sells enough, then I could. You see what I mean? Like that's how you have to think is how all these things fit together. And then can I can I push can I push people into that world from here at TSP? Yes. So then it all symbiotic. Yes, and I, in fact, I hope you do that, Jack, because uh, having your recipes all written down for me in a tidy little book would be awesome. I'd totally buy that book. Yeah, it would probably be better than all the pieces of duct tape stuck to my desk so I don't forget what I did because that's, that's how all my, my entire recipe lob, uh, library is right now. It's, it's duct tape in, in various colors, mostly green for some reason, uh, with red Sharpie writing on it. Um, so if I don't spill anything on them, I'll be good. But yeah, I mean, I, that's the kind of thing that like I need to do at some point. Um, mm-hmm. you, I don't know if you know, I did that book with Dustin DeFriest on selling your home. Oh, yeah. And I give him 60% of it because he basically did everything. He took my podcast and had me sanity check it. And we actually sell most of those. We don't even sell them. It's people on Kindle Unlimited download them. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know how much I'm going to make from this. But I'm getting a check from the guy for like $300 a quarter. So that's nice. like 100 bucks a month. And I'm only taking a third of the profit. And I'm thinking right away, like, if you had 10, 15, 20 little books out like that. Yeah. And then that's passive income. That's like we've been talking about the multiple business thing. Like I, I'm like, if I'm ever going to get these books done, what I need to do is get up like I used to before I had a full time business, right? And and I was still working, and I had to make time to do the side hustle. You know, get yeah. up at five o'clock in the morning, spend an hour writing every morning, and I could churn out probably a book every couple months if I did that. But then the question comes down to it: once you're successful in a certain business. It does start to make you less hungry, and that can be a bad thing too. You know, because like, hey, I know I'm not worried about whether or not I'm going to pay the bills this year. So there is something about the starving artist, I guess. You know, as a singer, mm-hmm. you might understand that as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in fact, I couldn't be a singer when I was singing in the rock band without having a job. And I remember when I interviewed for that job, they said, can you do this job and be a rock singer? And I said, yes. And when I left that job eight years later, they were like, I can't believe you did that. Yeah. And looking back, I can't believe I did that either, but I did somehow. Like you find the energy somewhere. So it's funny. So I, I, I like to borrow ideas from you because you have a lot of good ideas. And one of the things you do with your podcast that I've borrowed is you have a membership area. And you know, monetizing a podcast is a good idea, right? And so, of course, I I launched one, and one of one of the benefits my members get is a recipe of the week. Ah, and that's going to be a book. That's see, why that's, I'm writing my book. See, now that's smart. So, I I create an obligation to my existing paying base. Yeah. And that obligation creates content that gets repackaged and sold, and then of course you can just give it to them because they exactly. have it anyway already. But then when you sell the membership to the next group of people, you're like, but you get the book for free. Exactly. Right? You know, I wanted hard copy. Well, you got to buy that. In fact, yeah. please do. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's the way that's got to go, you know. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that's the way to, um, to do things. You know, kind of on the way we're thinking right now here, um, you talk to a lot of people, specifically my listeners, about a startup business. 
What yes. are some of the obstacles you see that people run into? You have very thoughtful listeners, Jack. They're very thoughtful, and they run into analysis paralysis. Mm. A lot of analysis paralysis. Uh, it's part of why I launched the My Three Things movement, because they they would be like, I need to do this 53 things, and they would start all of them and finish none of them. Uh, yeah, I understand. <laughs> and or start talking about the, the what-ifs for so long that they did nothing. So, I, I mean, I think analysis paralysis, it's important to think about what you're doing and be strategic. But if all you do is that and you never take, you never step foot out of your door, then nothing happened. And I think the other thing is they want to do everything for themselves. Yeah. So you, you don't want to do it. When you're starting a business, sometimes you need to outsource stuff. And yeah, if you're bootstrapping it, you may do everything for yourself at the beginning, but you should be looking at which things are a bad use of your time. Yeah, like, I, I think like one of the ways to evaluate that is like, will you use that skill daily in your business or even monthly in your business? Then maybe it's worth developing that skill. But if you're going to go into a business and your business is going to be like, let's say, podcasting, not a lot of graphics to be done in podcasting. Really no. isn't. So spending three weeks making crappy graphics for your website when you could have gave somebody 500 bucks and been done with it, right? then there's no reason to do that. If you were doing a podcast, audio editing would be something worth teaching yourself, especially if you're going to do a weekly show. You can't afford to have somebody do your professional editing. No, 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 right? no, no. So see how that, see what I mean by that? Yeah. And, and that's, and that's really important. And also just, like you can buy so many things off the shelf mm-hmm. for like 50 bucks. You know, I'm, I'm thinking like I have, I, so I'm just, I've just launched subscriptions on the coffee website. I could have developed a custom plugin to do exactly what I want. Cause what I really want is for people to choose which day and like up to 20 pounds that day are at one price and then the price goes up. Gotcha. That's what I want. That plugin does not exist that I have found. Um, but I've lost, launched subscriptions anyway without that because for $49, I could buy Subscriptio and get it done. Yeah. And and that's where, that's the other thing is letting the perfect get in the way of the good. It, it, I see business as an iterative process and getting it got, done well enough gets you started. Well, and then Waiting you also test that perfect. out, right? You test that yeah. out. Like, do, 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 what, you can see now if you're even going to get enough subscriptions that it matters that you would raise the price. Right. Right? Yeah. And, and, and that's, and if I do have like the horrible thing happen where more coffee is ordered on one day than I can produce, you know what I'm going to do, right? Gonna- hey guys, I'm, I'm producing these over the next three days. Yeah. And this is why. And this is now your day. I'm moving your day. <laughs> moving your day or, you know, at or some point. Money if you, back. <laughs> if you feel overwhelmed, you just shut orders off for the day. Yeah. Right? Okay, I've maxed out today. Instead of raising the price, I'm going to shut orders off for the day. And you know what that does? That makes you more valuable because the most powerful word in sales and marketing is no. Exactly. No, you can't buy today. I, I wasn't kidding. <laughs> so then when you go to sell again, they're like, oh, crap, I better do this because yeah. I remember what happened last time. It's like signing up for your workshop. You better be there at 9 o'clock on that, on that Monday morning when you pull the trigger or whatever time it is because at 9.05, you're sold out, right? 
most times it's something like it's usually somewhere between 15 minutes and two hours. Yeah. And, and I think people are like, so I'll do a lot of like reminders on the way up to it. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you know, you're just trying to make sure you sell out. Well, first of all, yeah, because of honestly, course. if I don't sell them out, they're not from they're, they'd, I'd still do them, but they wouldn't financially really be worth doing. It's the last 10 people. You've now tried your hand at that. It's the last 10 people yeah. you actually make a profit from. Right. Exactly. So you, can, you don't have those last 10 people. You don't make a profit, you know. Um, but my view is I don't want anybody mad at me. So I, I don't want anybody like well, you didn't tell me, man. Uh, and I'm like. Yeah, here, 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 here. Like, there's all the things. Because I don't want to be like my wife one year decided she's going to get me Jimmy Buffett tickets for my, uh -huh. for my birthday. And uh, so I had always gotten tickets for Jimmy Buffett. This is, we, we weren't married yet. This is like early in our relationship. I think we've been going out for like a year. So she says she's going to get me Jimmy Buffett tickets. I'm like, look, I, I, I want good tickets. I don't want like nosebleed seats or whatever. Um, so I'll get my own. No, no, no. I'll do, okay, great. So, like, You know, t tickets come up on sale, but I'm not worried about it because it's not until, like, September. My birthday's in August. Um, so she'll give them to me on my birthday. But we hear something on the radio about the concert. She goes, yeah, I better get those tickets for you soon. Oh, no. I'm like, oh, no, there's no tickets. She goes, well, what do you mean? They want to they sell, like, a week and a half ago. They're gone. And she's like, no. She's like, I didn't know. I'm like, It's Jimmy Buffett. And like, so I don't want to be me. I don't want my customer to feel like I did. Like they got ripped off and not a chance to join. But yeah. But when yeah. you do that consistently and you consistently sell out, when you say we're only selling 40 or we're only selling 20 or whatever the number is, and you actually shut it off, then it's very powerful. It's a good business model. Right. And, and people are afraid of success. And it's like, you know, take as much as you can handle and turn it off. And then when you're ready for more, there'll be more. And, and then, like, if that does happen, though, be ready to capitalize as quick as possible on the other side of it because that magic kind of goes away with time as well. That's true. You know, people have short memories, I guess, is the way to put that. Yeah, you got to have your next launch ready to go at that point. Well, and you just said the third thing, they're afraid of success. Yeah. They, yeah. they I mean, I've, I've had conversations with one person in particular about how to handle high-volume sales in their business and how to do the production, and they're worried about it and not sure if they should post to Facebook or launch their website because the, how can they handle all the orders? And I'm like, like, talk to me when you have that problem, man. Talk to me when you have that problem. I, I hope you have that problem and you will figure it out. You'll figure it out because <laughs> the, 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 there's no problem that money can't solve, you know, yeah. other than like you're dying and nothing gets you money from a lender. Like here's all my orders that I can't fill that I already have, you know, Like, there's nothing that won't solve that. I need to scale, but look, I have a proven business model. They will yeah. throw money at you. There's even an organization called the Small Business Association that will help you get that money if that's what you need. I don't necessarily recommend everybody go do that because, honestly, right. don't give people money they shouldn't give money to. But if yeah. that's really your problem, there's a way to solve every problem that you'll ever have. You know, so And then people that are worried about that, that's not how it works. You don't, like, throw up your website, post to Facebook, and have too many orders. That, that's no, it's not. Just please try. The way I look at it, this is going to sound weird at first, but it'll make sense in the end. Like most of the things I say, um, like so, <laughs> I, I learned very early on in my life about a thing called lucid dreaming because I was interested in the human mind and I thought it was cool to be able to like realize you're dreaming and fly or something like that. So I, I would, you know, have these dreams and you kind of wake up in your dream and then like there's a wall and you think, well, I'm going to walk through the wall. And then you try to walk through the wall and you can't. You know it's a dream. You can't walk through the wall. It doesn't make any sense. 
why can't I walk through the wall? Well, it's your wall. You manifested it literally, not some <laughs> you know, not some new age spacey way in, in in the real world. In your mind, you said there's a wall there. Of course, you can't walk through it because you made a wall, and you see it as a wall. You built the wall. If you see it as a permeable wall, then you'll be able to get through it. But since you've defined it as a wall in your mind, of course you can't get through it. Or in your dreams, you'd fall through the floor. Well, in the in the world of business, most people are constantly building these walls. They're not real. They're not really obstacles. But since they have created them, they believe that they're there, and therefore they can't get past them. And in, in most instances, they don't even try. Because like if I said, Nicole, right now I want you to get up, Look at the wall that's furthest from you and run at it as fast as you can. You're going to tell me to go screw, right? Because like right. you already know you're not going to get through that wall because you know. I what might get wall. through it if I'm between two studs. Yeah, maybe, right? But it's going to hurt. <laughs> it's going to hurt. And, and the wall's still going to be there in some form. So you already know that that wall's real. So you're not going to do it. So since the person believes the wall's real that they've created for themselves with analysis or some excuse. They really can't get through it until they actually see it for what it is. Yeah. I should write a book on that. You should. Get going. <laughs> I'll do it in my spare time. Yeah, uh, ghostwriting it for you. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It'd be an interesting one. I, I find trouble with that, that concept of ghostwriting. Ghostwriters never do what they're told. They have yeah. their own ideas. They change things. Um, so anyway, before we go off on that one... Um, You've changed a lot yourself since you left your job to focus on your homestead, yeah. and your hustles. What have you learned and what would you do differently looking back? Because a lot of times people like us are like, here's all the things you're doing wrong. And it comes off like, well, we never screwed up. I screwed everything up. Oh, yeah. I screwed everything up. This this business I started in 2008 started in 1993 in real reality, right? So. Yeah, I'm sure there's things you would do differently. I decided to do homesteading full time and do a podcast in 2007, and then I didn't do it until 2015 or 16. Mm. I should totally know what date that is, but I don't. Um, so you know, it's you have ideas, you don't always do them, right? Um, and it's a lot because of those walls. Uh, I have changed a lot. I think the biggest way I've changed, Jack, is I'm more confident in myself now than I've ever been. And I feel like I found that again. I lost that somewhere in my path towards full-time employment. And and that's like being confident in your own abilities and to take care of yourself is the most stabilizing effect that you can have on yourself. And and that, I mean, I think that's why, like, I didn't know I was a prepper until I listened to your show and realized I did have a year of food stored because I like canning. Mm. Um, but when I... When I had to make that change, I had a year's worth of food stored and I didn't have to buy anything for a year. I, I mean, I, I actually made it a game. How long is my stored toilet paper going to last me? Because now I'm curious. Uh, <laughs> you and Dorothy could have a competition on that one. Yeah. If well, my house catches on fire, it's going to be bad, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a little less stored now, but it was it was just, I mean, it became funny to me. I'm like, I'm not going to buy toilet paper till this is all out. Um, but I think what I would do different, and it's it goes back to very, like, the basics of, of building your life in a way that is um, stable and you can be independent and you have the power to control the things in your life that you can control. 
I would have paid off my debt faster. I'm like 10 years behind you. I'm your age, but I'm 10 years behind you on when I realized important lessons like don't have debt, right? So uh, I still had debt when I made the leap and I wish I hadn't. It's mm. shrinking, but I had, I had that extra burden to manage during, during the time of no longer having income from a job. And, you know, again, my choice was die early and stay at this job or make the move and have less money. So I made the move and, and I found out that you can maintain incremental steps on debt payoff, even when you're doing something like what I did. There was, there was like a flat line for about nine months. I went into a little bit more debt because of a medical thing. And then like, right as we turned the corner, I'm still like, Every extra penny, guess where it goes? It's, it's to, it's to pay off the debt. And I would be, you know, in a better place if I hadn't had that. Um, I would say I would have had more savings because I had a pretty good savings account too. Cause I, I could see this change coming for about three or four months. And when I realized what was about to happen, I was just like, okay, we're going to sock away a bunch of savings so we don't have to hit credit cards. And then I would have, I think the third thing is focused faster. I, I could have, like, the day I realized the coffee was the thing, Jack, I was still maintaining a lot of other things. I was still working at that nonprofit as a volunteer, and it does still exist, and I will still volunteer for them, but I still thought that somebody else would come take it over, and nobody ever did. And so I was still doing things related to the nonprofit that mm. I didn't get paid for, that took my time away from growing the coffee and the podcast and the consulting. And that's, that was, you know, I would be, you know, maybe four months ahead of where I am now. If I, if I had just sat down instead of, you know, right after my spring workshop and said, okay, where are we going next? And are we still on the right path? If I would have sat down a little more purposefully, like last December. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things that, are like that. Then there's things that like you learn as you go that really are like, damn, that was dumb. Like we talked about doing <laughs> multiple things. So let's say you are going to do a new thing. And let's say that that thing you do know because you have enough power built up that it's going to be successful. You're going to do it like maybe, maybe on Kickstarter or you're going to do it like a Kickstarter and you're right. going to take a big lump of revenue in. And a lot of that revenue is going to be used to develop something that's going to take time to develop. Don't launch that in October. Wait till January. <laughs> I mean, I did it. And I'm like, that was so stupid. Like, why yeah. did you do that? Because then I don't have enough time to dispose of the revenue as expense. And I ended up giving up some of the money to the government that they should have yeah. never got. Because now i got to declare it as income because I don't have offsetting expenses. And that development still has to happen. So the expenses have to come later. And, and you know, they come after the tax year. Like, those are things, like, you don't really think about stuff like that, you know. And, you know, it, it's one of those things that hits a lot of people. Uh, it, it, if they get that big hit, especially if they get a strategic partnership or something that enables that big hit. Right. Another yeah, thing, that's... Go ahead. I mean, that's a good point. I don't think I've ever launched anything in October. Don't. Suck. Okay. Suck. Purely well, lucky on that know, one. If you know you can dispose of the revenue... As expense, you know, you know, like the the it's an immediate offset. Um, then fine, but the reality is like there's so many expenses in running a business. Having a whole year 
to, to offset that income and strategically think about what you can do to minimize the tax consequence versus a couple months when you re- especially if you have income from something else. Because you're yeah. talking about pushing yourself into new, different tax brackets and things like that. And the withholding on all the other income wasn't really sufficient. You know, that wasn't an issue for me. But for many, I've heard people uh, talk oh, about yeah. just this weekend. Exactly that happened. Like, that extra income pushed them in a tax bracket, you know, that type of thing. And Penalty. Yeah. There's, like, these strategic things. Like, another one for me, I think, is is trying to do too much and thinking other people would do something. Like, I'll take care of this piece, and you guys do that. Oh, okay. And then you go through all of this headache, and then you push it a bit, and then that hurts you with your core group that you rely on of, of customers, and then delivery's lacking. Like, yeah. if I could go back to the beginning, I probably wouldn't. Do, I, I would do things like I did with Patrick Rorman. Here it is. Go. And I'm not, touch, I'm not attached to it anymore. I don't get a piece. So either right. you succeed on your own or you fail on, on your own. Some of the partnership deals I did, in fact, all the partnership deals that I did, uh, save a couple, were not really worth doing. And it's because you want it for somebody else. And I guess that would be my other one. Like, don't try to breathe for people. I used to tell my, my partner Neil that all the time. I don't think I quite tried to, to breathe for people, but I did try to move their hands. Right? Like, yeah. the, people are not puppets. Like, either they're going to act or they're not. Like, it's not animatronics, like that type of thing. I've, I've learned a lot from that. And, and don't put lots of money into things that you don't really know how to do yet. That's And I don't mean like, you know, buying a stock or something. I mean, like, if you're going to go into real estate, you don't know anything about real estate, you better really think about how you invest your money in real estate. Yeah. Don't, don't go out and just buy a, a really expensive house and think that you can sell it or rent it if you haven't actually figured out how to do it yet. Yeah, I love the rental business, but I'm a weirdo. But yeah, you know, don't go buy 20 houses in a dilapidated part of town hoping it'll turn around if there's, you know, if you're not really sure that's going to happen or you're not ready to sit there for 20 years. So if people want to find you because they want to know more about you and all of this incredible craziness, uh, where do they go? They can find crazy thoughts at livingfreeintennessee.com. <laughs> That's my podcast, and it is the portal to everything else. You can find navigation to if you if you want to see the web business or the coffee. Uh, I did launch subscriptions for those of you who are interested in Jack. Here's the reason I launched it. You may or may not have had a house sitter recently who may yeah. or may have not drunk all of the vodka-infused coffee I gave you. Yeah. He drank um, all of it. You're, it's it's going to be replaced. Don't worry. Okay. All right. We, we made an arrangement. And um, he may or may not have said, why don't you have subscriptions yet? And I said, oh, so you're telling me not to hate money, right? <laughs> and he uh, said, yes, I'll subscribe when you launch it. And then I got pneumonia, and so it launched this week. <laughs> awesome. You know, if I ever do a, biz, a business book, you know, I might actually call it, why do you hate money? I think that would sell really well. I, actually, I might do that more as a, uh, a financial and wealth thing, like, you know, not just business, but in general overall, because I, I see people do things all the time where I'm like, you hate money. Um, I just did a whole thing on why we made a decision in our particular instance to lease a vehicle. And I had this one guy explain how wrong I was. And I'm like, you hate money because there's no way you could have listened to the spreadsheet that we built that decided this for us. I didn't, I didn't make this decision. Math did. And I think because a lot of times people see security and things that are risky 
and they see risk in things that are secure. Yeah. And, and it's like, okay, the numbers said to do this. And the numbers are never wrong as long as you put the right numbers in. That, the, the other name I had come up for this book was going to be called Excel Never Lies. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, and like, how to, how to basically run your life with Excel. It sounds boring, but it, 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 it really helps you not do dumb things. And That's true. You, you asked you if you would do anything different. I, I might have used Excel more. That, that would be another thing I might have done differently is use Excel more. Um, I got a completely off the wall question for you. Oh boy, this should be fun. What what currently is your favorite cocktail? My favorite cocktail right now is one I got from the Siegler. Ah. And so I like whiskeys most. Like whiskey, bourbon, scotch, like that variety of booze is my favorite. Gotcha. And I kind of, I was like, what can I do with my house whiskey, which is currently Four Roses? Tonight, it's been a long day. And he said, okay, three ice cubes in a glass, four fingers of whiskey in a rocks glass. Yeah. Um, he told me to put whatever kind of bitters I want in there, like four drops of them. And I've been playing with the Woodford Reserve bitters, and I have the spicy cherry one, really good. And then two drops of saline and stir. Ah, and that that is has become my go-to for the summer. Gotcha. Oddly enough, how about you? I am stuck right now on um, mojitos, uh, made with four-year-old uh, gold uh, Flor de Caña rum, mm. um, and I have figured out how to make them without really hurting myself with the sugar. So uh, what I what I do to get around that is I have this uh, lime, uh, calorie-free, uh, sparkling water that's mm-hmm. made with sulacrose, so it's not a digestible sugar, and I use that as though it were simple syrup. And instead of muddling the mint with sugar, I just throw that in. So I, so I don't have anything to muddle the mint with, so I make my mojitos in a shaker. Mm-hmm. So I throw the mint in there, then I throw the ice cubes in there, And then I do uh, like two and a half ounces of rum and uh, half a lime and then like squeeze or shake the heck out of it, right? So I shake the heck out of it and that beats the, the mint up. Learned that trick from my son. He was a bartender for quite a few years and he was too lazy to muddle the mint. So that, that macerates the mint. Uh-huh. And uh, then I put that in the glass and then I add, you know, about an ounce of the, it's called, it's like something ice is that Dorothy found it. And I'll add about an ounce of that because that gives it that mojito fizz. Mm-hmm. And it gives it a little bit of sweetness to offset the lime. And I'm kind of hooked on those right now. I, I go to other things from time to time. I make the patented spherical margaritas and whatever. But Yeah, those are good. It's summertime, and that mint is so refreshing and what have you. Uh, but I like the bourbon stuff, too. I found this Smoky Rock and Rye. Really? Uh, Who makes is, it? I don't, rem- I, think, I don't remember now. Um, but I'll find out. I'll put it in the show notes for people. But yeah. it, is, it is almost an old-fashioned out of the bottle. Really? Except it's made with rye instead of a, a bourbon. But um, mm-hmm. I throw a, like a – I just put that in a glass over a big, uh, you know, a big square ice cube, the one big two-inch one. And mm-hmm. I'll throw like two dashes of cherry bitters in there and give it a stir. And it's so close already right there to uh, the, the, the old-fashions they make down at the Bird Cafe. That uh, it's it's again it's almost like old fashioned in a bottle. It's it's awesome. And what you're drinking is not far off an old fashioned, by the way. No, 
It's not far off at all. It's just a little different. And the saline. It's a little less sweet. Yeah, yeah. And the saline, I've been playing with that too. We, we, see, he's a cheater like all of us. We yeah. picked that up at, uh, at Riata Restaurant, uh, when we went there for the big reunion for all the chefs. And we, we called it research for Bill Tong for breakfast so he could lose money and bite <laughs> it off. And they did a, a, a blackberry, uh, cocktail that had a little saline in it. And we were like, you know, that's probably BS. It's, you know, they did a couple drops and, he started playing with it, and it actually does change the character of the drink. It's pretty cool. Well, I was talking to him on Zella when he busted that one out, so I grabbed the recording of him describing the drink. And, you know, he has a special way of describing things. So oh, yeah. yeah. I've been I've been tricking him into giving me audio of cocktails. We call him the Booze Whisperer. The Booze Whisperer. That's that's his new nickname. <laughs> and, and I learned how to make saline that day. I was like, ah. Oh, how do I make that? Because I, of course, I don't have any, and he told me how to make it. So, yeah, it's it's completely changed. Like it's amazing what it, it just kind of takes the edge off of drinks, the ones that have an edge. And so I've been playing with with saline in cocktails on. I, I had to take a break for two weeks, but we're back. And at, now that you've mentioned the mojito, I do have way too much mint right now. So yeah, hmm. yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Instead of using that little tiny bit of mint like they do at a restaurant, you can throw a handful in there. Yeah. And that ice just tears it up, you know? Yum, yum. Well, hey, you know, uh, I, I'd like to go for a cocktail now that I'm d- done for the day, but i got to go pick the wife up from the airport in about uh, an hour and a half. So I probably don't need to be ri- driving in uh, Dallas rush hour traffic with mojitos or rocks or rye or anything like that, so I'll have to put it off till later. And you, you can't tell her to take Uber because she's been gone and she's your wife. Yeah, I actually I did get a car service for her to go to the airport. Oh yeah, but I'm going to pick her up to bring her home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was like she got up at like four o'clock in the morning, and I'm <laughs> like, I no. Uh uh-uh. Yeah, so, but I was Mark cool. and I, I have a similar agreement there. I was cool. I, I so she was going on vacation with her sister and all. I spoiled her. I got her a car from Blacklight, so she got a a town car with a professional driver and all that, and so. Oh, nice. It was totally worth it because I went back to bed. You know, it was a Saturday. Who the hell gets up at 4 o'clock on a Saturday? 4 o'clock. That is one early flight right there. No, not me, man. Anyway, hey, Nicole, I appreciate you being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Guys, get over to her website if you haven't checked it out, livingfreeintennessee.com and hollerroast.com. And holler is spelled with an O, not an A. I don't know who the heck does that, but some people do. Holler with an O. And, yes. uh, and Nicole, again, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me on, Jack. Always enjoy talking to Nicole. She really is an awesome person. That's why I call her Awesome Sauce. She was, I think the first time I ever did that, she had all the people on Zello calling her Awesome Sauce for like a day. Anyway, um, I think you could see why I do that from time to time on occasion. Cause she is just an awesome person with awesome insights. And, you know, the, the, the Internet's full of people that claim that they can tell you how to, how to do well in business, and most of them charge money for it. I found the people that actually give the best advice don't ask anything for it, uh, Nicole being one of those. Because there's no secrets, there's no tricks. The way people sell all that and get rich quick crap is to make you think there's some like special thing that if you just add this or do that, money will just flow in. Well, there is something like that, but it's not really the kind of thing that sells well. It's, it's hard work, determination, and an acceptance of feedback. In other words, when what you're doing is not working, instead of doing more of it so you can say you're working really hard, you have to change what you're doing until you figure out what does really work. And uh, if you look around at the people that are successful, people like I've mentioned today, you'll see that there's a lot of things very similar to them 
Uh, Nicole is a living embodiment of those things. And again, we are fortunate to have her with us today and fortunate to have her on the Expert Council. So th thank you once again, Nicole, uh, for your contributions to the community as a whole, Zello, etc. All right. So if you like this show and you like supporting us, one of the easiest ways in the world you can do that, like the, I call it the painless way, is to just do your online shopping at tspaz.com. If you shop tspaz.com when you shop online and use the stuff that's there, you'll help support us no matter what you end up buying. That's the easy, easy part of it. I also do have recommendations for you, though, and you know, as I've always said, um, if you see it on tspaz.com, It's there because I own it, I use it, I buy it, I spent my money on it, not because somebody paid me for it. There might be one or two things there that I was given uh, by the, the, the person selling it to, uh, to take a look at it in the first place, but if it didn't pass muster, it wouldn't have been there, and if it was given to me, it's in a disclaimer. This one is not. Uh, this company doesn't have any idea who I am, but I know who they are now, and I'm very happy to know who they are. Um, I am a sushi and sashimi fanatic. I love sushi. I love sashimi. And it can be kind of expensive in restaurants. If you're familiar with the stuff, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm really kind of more a, a sashimi guy. That means we, we get rid of the rice and we stick to just the sliced raw fish. As much as I love things like you know tuna and other great sushi fish, Um, in some levels, there's a joke among people that are aficionados of this stuff, and it's the raw fish is nothing but a conveyance system for soy sauce and wasabi, and it's really about the wasabi. And I mean, when I do sushi at home, and again, I, I just generically call it sushi. For me, it's really more sashimi. You know, I do pickled ginger. Sometimes I pickle my own as well. You know, I do lacto-fermented ginger. Really, really good stuff. I do the seaweed salad with the wakame seaweed with the... Uh, Uh, sesame seeds on it, and that's awesome. And I do a couple different kinds of fish and um, things like that. And, uh, yeah, it's great. But it's all about the wasabi and the soy sauce with the wasabi, and the way those two things go together and that pungency in the way it hits you. thing is, most people that, that are even really into sushi have never had real wasabi. That little green pasty stuff that they give you at the sushi place or it comes in the, the grocery store sushi package from Albertsons or whatever, uh, most of the time that's nothing but horseradish and uh, maybe some mustard and some food coloring and maybe some other things you really don't want in there. That's it. And the reason is that actual wasabi is expensive because it's hard to grow. It's a semi-aquatic plant. Most of it's grown throughout uh, southeastern Asia in parts of Japan, China, and other places. And because it's hard to grow and it requires specialized stuff to, to, to grow it well, and only certain climates it does well, uh, it's rather expensive. So they, they either cut it or they omit it altogether and say, hey, give the stupid Americans green horseradish. They won't know any better. Uh, for example, I, I looked at three other sushi, uh, uh, wasabi's uh, products for you guys when I you know, did this one. Uh, here's one called Premium Wasabi. It has a cool Japanese letter on it, but the ingredients are horseradish, mustard, and fillers, and artificial colors. Kinkomon Wasabi Sauce. You know Kinkomon, a name you can trust. Well, the second ingredient in it is soybean oil. The third is root blend of wasabi and horseradish, and they don't even say how much wasabi is in that blend. It could be as little as 1%. It also has high fructose corn syrup and yellow number five and blue number one. Well, yellow and blue do make green. Then how about S&B wasabi powder? That contains horseradish, mustard, cornstarch, along with our new friends, yellow five and blue one, but zero actual wasabi. There's a few products out there that have 
wasabi in it. Sometimes they have a blend and it might be 51% wasabi, 49% horseradish. At least you're getting somewhere. But the best one I found that's 100% wasabi is made by a company called Sushi, Sushi Sonic. Uh, the ingredients are uh, 100% wasabi, which means 0% everything else. It's also a freeze-dried powder. That means it stores incredibly well long-term, and when it reconstitutes, it tastes fresh. We all know in the preparedness world, freeze-dried is the most expensive and best way to preserve food, and it doesn't change because we've gone to the world of wasabi. Uh, it's about nine bucks for a one and a half ounce jar, which, as light as the powder is, is a significant amount. And if you've ever used wasabi, a little goes a long way. So check this stuff out. Um, I do want to point out something. There is some complaining that the description says root blend, and some people say they got a jar of this stuff and it was a root blend, forty nine percent horseradish, fifty one percent wasabi. I looked into this because it didn't make any sense. And what it turns out is the same company makes like an economy version that is a blend. So some people bought the wrong one and then complained about it for the right one. And then some people just don't understand that there's an error in the, the expanded description on Amazon's website. So I bought this stuff a couple times now. It is the bomb. Uh, one lady that gave it a negative review said uh, it doesn't have any flavor at all and it smells like green tea. I think this lady needs to see a neurologist. Something is wrong in her brain because I'll tell you what, if you sniff this stuff hard, it's going to put you down, man. It's going to hurt you. Real wasabi, if you've never had it, is a little more intense than horseradish. It's got a little bit more of a flavor to it as well to me. Uh, but it also tends to dissipate and it, it, even faster than horseradish, which, of course, is less persistent than something like hot peppers or whatever. You eat a hot pepper and you can be 15 minutes of you know shoving napkins in your mouth and eating, drinking milk and bread and trying to get rid of it, where wasabi, horseradish, things like that, they have their, their heat out of the Brassia family, kind of comes really hard and then it goes, and that's what makes it really cool. So check it out if you like wasabi, and if you don't, Hey, check out tspaz.com for any of your online shopping needs where you can help the survival podcast no matter what you eventually buy. That brings us to our song of the day. Song of the day, day today is Badge by Cream. Cream, of course, being the place that, uh, that Eric Clapton came from. Uh, I guess a lot of people probably don't know that today since Cream's last album that they released as a band was called Goodbye. Eh, kind of fitting, right? And it was released when? 1969, and uh, Clapton was the guitarist um, for Cream, but on this album, he's actually listed uh, not only as lead guitar, but as rhythm guitar as Leangelo Ministero, because I guess they in the studio they blended him playing guitar at two different points. Um, it had to be him because he's the only guitarist that, uh, that Cream had. The song was actually written by Eric Clapton, though, along with George Harrison of the Beatles. And the title has nothing to do with the song. There's nothing about a badge in this song. I mean, people, I got a badge. Maybe this led to, like, uh, you knocking on heaven's door or something now. Like, that was a cover by Clapton. It was Bob Dylan did that one. No. See, badge here means nothing. Nothing at all. In fact, um, Clapton saw Harrison's notes for this song. And he misread Bridge as Badge. The song was actually originally called Bridge. But they changed it to Badge because that's how uh, Clapton saw the, the writing. Uh, the lyrics don't make any sense. Don't try to make sense out of these lyrics. Um, they were taken mostly from drunken conversations that George Harrison had with Ringo Starr. 
Uh, this is one of those songs that's just designed to sound cool and be cool and, and screw with your head because, well, it was 1969 and we all know what's going on. But it's an awesome song. And when I listen to music like this, I wonder how the hell we got to a world where people listen to somebody like Justin Bieber. I mean, really. I mean, this was rock and roll in its heyday. I actually think it did get better over time through the 70s and even in parts of the 80s before the decline began. But oh, have the how 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 oh, how the mighty have fallen. With that, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. I told you not to